Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I sent your office an old Hollywood Reporter breakdown of, I think there were like 391 spec scripts that sold. And you look at the prices paid on those scripts. I mean, they probably averaged five or 600,000 a script. And the amount of scripts that got made in the movies out of that list was, you know, a very small percentage. So it was an amazing sort of time in the business. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited to have you back on this show. Really, for those of you who are listening for the first time, welcome. For those of you who are longtime listeners, thanks for coming back again and again and supporting the show and telling your friends and it means a lot. Without you guys, we are nothing. Excited to go back to Montreal this year in July. So great. Go to hahaha.com and look up Industry Standard. You can get tickets to our live show there. It should be something truly extraordinary with a great surprise guest. All right, without further ado, I want to introduce my guest today. This guy's amazing. You're going to love him. All right, Christopher Fenton most recently served as the president of DMG Entertainment Motion Picture Group and general manager of DMG North America, orchestrating internationally the creative and business activities of DMG, a multi-billion dollar global media company based in Beverly Hills with a China component. Fenton also produced or supervised 20 films ranging from big budget franchises like Iron Man 3, Point Break, and 47 Ronin to the more niche-oriented films like Looper, Waiting, and the most recent Blockers and Chappaquiddick, grossing almost $2 billion in worldwide box office. In 2004, he pushed DMG to be the first to properly license American music for national ads in China, kicking off with a popular Hanson song for a VW brand campaign. 
Four years later, Fenton negotiated the largest athletic endorsement deal ever in China for U.S. Olympian Michael Phelps. Among his accomplishments was securing Lionsgate's Knowing, a release in China making it the first ever non-major studio motion picture to receive a highly coveted spot in the country's quota system. Most people know him as a groundbreaking television and motion picture agent, the first eight years of his career at William Morris Agency. He then co-founded the management production company H2F Entertainment with DC Films president Walter Hamada, which he eventually sold to DMG. During Fenton's tenure there, DMG grew from 35 employees to more than 900 today, with its value increasing from $100 million to a market cap of roughly $5 billion. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, a man who will not disappoint. It's truly an honor to have him here. Please welcome my guest today, Chris Fenton. Thank you, Barry. It's odd to see somebody after so long and literally they've been frozen in time to look exactly the same as they did when I saw them. Meanwhile, I'm aging like Clinton in the White House administration and you're reverse aging. What's going on with you? Uh, well, a lot of plastic surgery. <laughs> no, it's actually, uh, you know, by the way, you, you don't give yourself enough credit. You've always been, had that movie star sort of je ne sais quoi, I would say. So uh, you haven't lost it a bit. And you're living out here in Malibu, surrounded by vineyards. I mean, in a, in a, in a view of one of the great surf breaks in California, drain pipes. So I think it's a great way to stay young and you surround yourself with very smart young people that are, that are keeping you in touch with everything that's important in our business. Right next to him, he brought one of his 10 Rolodexes. And for those of you who are too young to know what a Rolodex is or was, because let's face it, there's very few products in the world that actually go out of business. And this is one of them. <laughs> and so essentially what it was is like a iron. It can be small or short. It can be a tray. But this particular one is a round circular Rolodex with cards that look like are about three by five inches long. And they hook into this contraption that goes around the circle and you turn the wheel and you can go to whatever letter of the alphabet and find the person in alphabetical order. This is before cell phones, before your computer, before anything. And one of the things that Chris was sharing with me, what you do, your only form of getting to know people, which is different from today. I mean, we still try to hold on to those lunches as hard as we can. but. The way the business has changed, and I'm sure he'll talk about it, is that, I mean, it used to be your phone would be ringing nonstop, 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 but people feel for some weird reason that they can get more done if they text you or if they email you. They feel psychologically that they can get more done in the day. To show you the level that Chris Fenton is at, I had one of these things. He had 10 of them. Yeah. And, and the sad part about it is how much time I put into it back in. And it was actually my father who taught me to when you meet somebody new, always write down as much as you can that you learned about them, because someday you can use that information to rekindle that relationship. No matter how much time passes, they'll always be amazed that you remembered their dog's name from 15 years ago or whatever it is. 
And nowadays it's it, the fun is sort of taken away from that hard work because you can go onto LinkedIn or the Facebook page of anybody and essentially get exactly what was on that Rolodex card. So the, the, uh, the, the credit for the hard work isn't really there anymore. It's almost like remembering somebody's birthday. Now you just go on Facebook or whatever and it says, Hey, it's somebody's birthday today. Go wish him happy birthday. So, um, the good old days we're rapping about right here. But it is funny that you have to describe what a Rolodex is. I'm 47 years old and I'm feeling like a crotchety old man. There's nothing about you that is crotchety in any shape or form. So I want to ask you about time. Because whenever I met you, you asked me things that I notice or that people want to know. Like on the Rolodex card, it says somebody, whatever they did, what their parents were, their kids. But with you, what always impressed me about you, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I always loved your time management, and it seemed like you were together in that area when you were working at the places where I met you. Would you consider that to be accurate or inaccurate? Well, I do. Well, time management just in in general is an art form that I think everybody has to have in in regards to all the balls you're juggling in this business, right? But but then I do um, tend to have a little bit of an uncanny uh, memory uh, in regards to all the different moments in my life. Um, You know, it, it just even, you know, you and I haven't spoken in many years, but then I was just thinking about like, why don't I reach out? I think I actually reached out via LinkedIn, which by the way, I just have started using. So, um, and I'm like, God, there were so many different things we were involved with over the years. I'm surprised I haven't stayed in touch with them. Plus I've always thought that you were somebody that thought differently than everybody else. So, um, and it shows just by the podcast cause it's just great entertainment. So it's an honor to be on the show. I guess in the old school ways, looking at this Rolodex, word of mouth happens and people like you come across it and then you listen and then you listen to more and it's shocking that somebody at your level listens but you're always like me thirsting for knowledge and trying to figure out what's the next thing or who might be somebody to have a relationship with yeah i don't know if you do things sometimes that are outside of your box but to me when you say that i'm grateful but i can't believe it well, uh, I'm honored to be on the show because I've obviously listened to a lot of people I look up to that have been on the show and, and go, geez, do I have any, any anything to add to this show? Is this going to be the lowest rated podcast you've ever had? I, I don't know. But um, what's interesting, though, is it goes back to your, you, you know, the fact that people don't talk on the phone as much as they do. I, I like to see the ocean. So I live in Manhattan Beach. Um down there your lots are about the size of this this room right here um but i do see the ocean and and part of living where you want to live is sometimes your drives are a little long and and in in the old days the olden days back when we had rolodexes you could actually fill those car rides with constant calls but nowadays i find that um there are times when you have lulls so it's what do you do in the with those lulls that that allow you to keep thinking and and 
growing as an individual. So uh, obviously I was getting into books on tape or whatever. And then I ran into uh, a buddy you might know, uh, Chris Ridenhauer at APA. And I, we were talking about, I was, I think it was Ray Dalio's book that I was listening to principles, interesting book about the, the building of Bridgewater. And, uh, Chris was like, well, have you ever listened to a podcast? And I was like, yeah, I've tried a couple. He's like, you got to listen to Industry Standard, Barry Katz. You know Barry Katz? I go, yeah, I know Barry Katz. I'm like, what is he doing? He's like, well, he's interviewing all these interesting people. And I said, mainly comics or whatever? And he's like, no, like he had on Kevin Riley. And I'm like, really? I got to listen to that. So I turned it on and I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Kevin Riley, who went to, he's, I went to Cornell and he was several years ahead of me but now the president of tbs and yeah TNT. always looked up to him and by the way just a mensch in every way and was probably a big man on campus at every stage of his life too by the way um and that's why he's probably such a great guy um he uh that that interview was great and then i started listening to others and then you know it was just great entertainment and and fun fodder to listen to on a on a ride and then one day I was, um, this was a few months ago, I'm driving my kid who's roughly the age of your, one of your sons. I have an 11 year old son. We're going to lacrosse and he, and he, he goes, dad, we're, let's get psyched up for this game. I heard this new song. This is such a good song. You got to put it on. So I, I, I go, I'm not Spotify, I'm Rhapsody and Napster. And he puts it on and I'm listening to him. I'm like, God, I've, I've heard this. Oh, this is Stan by Eminem. And I'm, and I'm listening to it and I'm going, God, I forgot how good this song is. And, and then because it's my son and I never really listened to the lyrics of it, I guess I was always hearing it in bar. I mean, it was what, 2000 or something when the mm-hmm. thing came out. So you're never really listening to the, the lyrics, or at least I wasn't at the age at 29 where I was listening to them. But with kids in the car, you're listening to it. You're like, what is this song about? And you're listening, you're going, there are two things that are going in my head. One is, God, Eminem is a genius. Like he is writing this song about obviously something that happened in his life and the, it's so vivid and you're picturing it and you're you're going, no wonder, like he's, you know, seems so bitter at times because these fans are crazy and oh my god the fan must be boiling in his head about like why this isn't guy isn't getting back to him and all that stuff you know and then you're going jesus i got three kids in the car that are 11 listening to this should i allow that and then the song ends and they have a bunch of questions and then i have a bunch of questions for them and i'm asking them like what do you think this song's about and you know all that and we had this real educational conversation where by the end of it I'm going okay there's two things that are going on in my head one is I'm going to let them listen to this artist and these songs because this artist is a genius and two they're thinking about it and processing it in the right way and then cut to a month later I'm going I want to I want to hear what Barry Katz says when he's interviewed and I come across an interview I can't remember I think it was it was a maybe a Japanese guy or somebody. And you're talking about Little League and how you got your kid from ninth in the batting lineup to fifth. 
And then you go into this Stan M&M conversation, which was the exact conversation I had with my kid and the exact same thought process. And I'm going, I got to reach out to Barry Katz again because this guy is like thinking the way I do about certain things. And he's got this crazy podcast. I should just go grab lunch with him. And the next thing you know, you invite me to be on this podcast. And I'm like, life is crazy. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I'm excited to introduce a new award-winning groundbreaking product to all of you, and I'm talking about Boku Superfoods. These are the highest quality, most nutrient-dense superfood formulations on the planet and the healthiest thing a person could ever consume. They're filled with the most powerfully nutritious and healthiest parts of the plants, vegetables, roots, and fruits that are doctor-formulated into a blend of naturally healthy, easily digestible proteins that are certified organic, kosher, and vegan with no soy, no dairy, whey, or fillers of any kind. All you have to do is go to bokusuperfoods.com, that's B-O-K-U superfoods.com, type in the promo code Barry, check out all their products, and you'll get 20% off everything, which you can't find in any store in the world. I'm telling you, I use these products, they're the highest quality They're vine-ripened, harvested fresh, dried at low temperatures, and then gently powdered. These extraordinary powders are then blended into delicious concentrates that, when reintroduced to liquid, unleash the strongest levels of healing nutrition for your body that you will ever experience. So check out the entire range of organic Boku Superfood products at bokusuperfoods.com. Promo code Barry and save 20% off store-wide. Look your best, feel your best, and flood your body with a tidal wave of nature's most potent organic superfoods. There is no other choice. And so I want to ask you about this before we get into a lot of stuff, because this is a time management thing. Your old business model was lunches rolling calls, gathering information about people, creating relationships, having your assistant type in the things on the card, put it back in, organizing, oh, we got to go to another Rolodex here, move these from here. And there were a lot of hours spent doing things before email, 
before the smartphone a lot of hours. I would go on record and say probably 15 to 20 hours a week spent doing things that we don't do anymore. So I want you to tell our audience what has replaced your time because we all know everybody is not as productive as they should be as the transition took place. As we'll discuss in this podcast, you've been that way. So what did you do as the transition took place and hours freed up the bane of Chris's and my existence in our offices 10 or 15 years ago was the copy machine. That monstrosity that broke down every week and the guy had to come in who looked like he was from another planet to fix this copy machine because we had to make scripts and copy scripts and send them out and messenger them out and get them to people and run them to people so they could read them. Everything was paper. It was crazy. Time, stress. So tell the audience how you made the transition and where your hours went to that made you more productive. It's a tough question to answer because actually I, I've had these conversations where how about in the, you know, I would talk to, I remember when I was first a young assistant in the mailroom and there was this guy, Tony Fantosi at William Morris. He, he had a big office on the ground floor and he would go off and have three martini lunches during the day. And, and, you know, he, he ran everything like the, the, the quintessential William Morris agent. And, you know, there were faxes and he had four phones on his desk, you know, and I didn't even have the multi switch sort of phone system. And, and he would say, yeah, back in the day, you know, he had this crazy sort of Italian, like uh, old school accent. And he would talk about how they would make, you know, a studio would make 50, 60 movies a year. And, you know, it was back when you had to have three phones on your uh, on your desk and there wasn't even a facsimile. And, you, you know, maybe you would FedEx something out or whatever. And how'd you get that many movies made when it was so difficult to get anything done, you know, as far as um, uh, technology and all that support that we have nowadays. And and a lot of it came down to sort of the the art of the handshake and the fact that a deal was done with a handshake and you would move on on that piece of business based on that that promise that the handshake was and then that cut to today where a test deal for a, a, a client to do a pilot test with eight others would take you know 10 days worth of maneuvering to get the deal finally closed. And then you have paperwork that's, you know, 60 pages deep and they don't even get the job. So it's almost like this, a lot of, a lot of people have filled the, the extra time with sort of an extra racket of, of paperwork and just churn. Right. Um, for, for me, I think that time has been uh, modified in its use mainly because of where the business was going, right? Um, we first met, well, we first met uh, back in my, my William Morris days, but then we, we got to know each other more when Walter Hamada, who's now running DC Films for Warners, he and I started a company called H2F. And we were at the center point of selling scripts and setting them up and 
getting them made in the movies, Waiting, which Dane Cook did, and then Employee of the Month was another one. What I loved about your whole office setup, and I think it stemmed from the moment you started with Walter, which was an office in his garage, sort of like a Mark Maron podcast. It's just number one is out of his garage. It just shows you the way the world works. It doesn't always have to be a certain way as long as you have humility. My office chair was the bench that was part of his bench press machine (laughs) that was like on the side of the garage. And then we had this Jason Hendrickson, our assistant, who sat like on, I don't know, some sort of a yoga ball or something. And in the summertime, we had boxers on because and nothing else because it was so hot. He lived in Sherman Oaks. And in the winter, we all had ski hats on at a ski park. It was hilarious. It was the craziest eight months ever. <laughs> but it's how much do you have to believe in somebody and believe in a concept? That just shows you it doesn't matter as long as you can put in the great work and people know that you do great work. Now, granted, you weren't bringing executives to meet you on the bench press. We actually did have some executives (laughs) that wanted to see it. We were like, come on over. We'll check it out. No, we were doing our meetings in islands down the street, I think. (laughs) Put on your ski cap. Come on in. You did your meetings in islands. You walk in there, you feel like you're on vacation. There's tiki drums and (laughs) island burgers. But the thing is, even when I went to the office where you were at, 9,000 building, what was fascinating about the way you guys operated is you had like a community room or area where all of the clients who were writers used to hang out and write. It was literally a what a Starbucks is, except there wasn't a coffee press and tea. And all these clients were hanging out, walking around while you guys were doing business, sometimes for other artists, and they could hear you in the other room. And so I always thought that was a risky choice, but it was also a choice that very few people did, was to create the community. The only thing is artists sometimes, they don't like it when their peer is getting a deal and they're not, or somebody they notice, hey, it sounds like he's more passionate on the phone when he's talking about Joe than when he's talking about me. And that's what I thought was a dangerous about that situation. Did that ever hurt you guys in any way, that format? You know, it's funny. I, I always so I'm, I'm a big fan of email and 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 part of why I love email is that it keeps records and, and it keeps people honest in this business. And as you know, there's a lot of dishonest people that have selective memory. Um, but one thing about email is you got to be ready for anybody to read that email. So. My feeling is, is that everything that I say or write or, or converse with somebody else, I'm just assuming that there's a microphone in my hand and everybody's going to hear it. Right. So, and that doesn't mean you, you need to hold back what you want to say or whatever. It just means, you know, be, be wary of the fact that, you know, what you say, what you do is going to have repercussions if, if you're not careful about it right and if you are careful about it it can create great opportunities so one of the things that we used to love to do is back in the day of spec script selling could um, you tell our audience who doesn't know what a spec script is and what you ask an artist to do yeah i think um what was what was amazing is when i was first starting at william morris there were two two uh agents there alan gasmer and rob carlson who really, I think, were at the center point of starting the spec selling 
craze that occurred coming out of the there was a WGA strike in the late 80s. And to watch it, it was amazing because you're talking about the copy machine and the and how that was like the bane of all existence. Well, when I was in the mailroom at William Morris, we would fight to be the morning desk or the night desk person of one of these two guys if we wanted to be in the lit business. And all you would do is create these these copies of what we called spec scripts, which were scripts written by feature writers that wasn't assignment work. They would come up with an idea they would pitch it to robert allen they would buy off on the concept and then they the writer would go off into a dark room for whatever 12 weeks and write the script and come back and give it to their agent and the agent would be like i like it we're going to take it to the community or i don't like it go write another one right and it should be noted you talk about risks for somebody who actually has sold something in the past they're working for 12 weeks for nothing correct they're working for no money at all at the hope that the script is going to sell and sell for an amount of money that's hopefully worth their time now even if a script were to sell for minimum wage that probably wouldn't be justification for them to do it but a lot of the deals were based on where you'd get an amount of money when you sold it and then you'd get an amount of money with bonuses if the movie did well or if it went into production right. and all these different triggers. I mean, every week there were five or six scripts selling. In fact, I sent, I sent your office an old Hollywood Reporter breakdown of, I think there were like 391 spec scripts that sold. And you look at the prices paid on those scripts. I mean, they probably averaged five or 600,000 a script. And the amount of scripts that got made into movies out of that list was, you know, a very small percentage. So it was an amazing sort of time in the business. It was like the boom for spec scripts, but take our audience through your perception of where that transition slowly changed. And then the next year there wasn't as many in the next year. And then it was like, is anybody buying a spec script anymore? Yeah, when we when when Walt and I started our company in the early 2000s, it was starting to wane. So you had to really think out of the box. So what we ended up doing was we set up a bunch of computers in the office and we would log on to different tracking boards as as execs in the on the buy side and we would track who's looking at what script of ours and then we would feed out info that we thought would make the the scripts hotter you know like oh this person supposedly likes it or whatever always the truth because one thing about hollywood is if you ever lie to somebody you're going to get caught in this especially in the spec market so if you once you get caught that your credibility as far as generating offers from somebody else's interest goes away Hey, everybody. I know I've talked a lot on this show about AquaTrue, the countertop water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler purifier that's on your counter. It's only about maybe 10 to 12 inches high and maybe 10 to 12 inches wide in this triangle. It's this amazingly efficient piece of equipment that sits right on your counter it has a nice pitcher it has a press button where the water comes out 
and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just put your tap water in there and it purifies, it takes out all the bad chemicals, everything out and gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine that would cost you hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store where the plastic containers hurt the environment. It's just so much easier, so much better. And this product is amazing. I have one, everyone who comes over, everyone who uses it, they order one. And you should too, I'm telling you, it's incredible. And if you act now, you can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry, that's B-A-R-R-Y, and you'll immediately get the huge discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. Industrystandardwater.com, promo code Barry, and you'll never, ever waste another dollar buying another bottle of water for your home again. So the client writes the script. Their friends read it before they gave it to you. And they are like, this is the greatest thing I've ever written. I'm so excited for you to read it, this thing. Everyone I give it to love it. And you read the script, and this is an important client for you. This is one of your biggest clients, you and Walter. And you read the script, and you're like, this is shit. I might have made a mistake here. Let me read it again. No, this is really bad. Walter, will you read this and tell me if I'm... Yeah, this is bad. And then you have to face the client who has 10 people that have already told him it's great. He thinks it's his greatest work. He wants you to go out there in the marketplace with it because he spent 12 weeks of his life spitting blood to make it right. Do you go to him and say, listen, I know your friends told you it was great. I know you think it's great. I know you want to sell it, but this is a piece of shit. Or do you just go out with it because he's an important client and you don't tell him how bad you think it is? Well, I think... I mean, we had good instinct on on scripts and whether they were ready for the marketplace or not. But if we got to that point where we had to have the tough conversation of saying we feel like this script is is not because one thing you have to do as I mean, back when Walt and I were doing this, we had to protect our own brand of hey, we've sold everything we've taken out in the last year. We need to keep that going. The second we take out a dud, that that's not just going to affect that client, but it's going to affect all the other clients that have scripts that we need to take out, right? But if I'm your client, you don't care I don't about give it. a fuck about exactly. what you think about your company or how your company is exactly. going to look. I care about me. Right. And I believe in this and I want to go out with this. And if you don't go out with it, there's going to be some manager out there that believes in me enough and trusts me enough in my opinion that I'm going to go out with it. How do you navigate so, that slope? So what we would do is we would bring in reinforcements, right, to, on our opinion. So what we would end up doing is saying, hey, look, we don't think this is in your best interest as a client to have this go out wide because we don't think this script is at the level that people expect from you. But because one man's trash can be another man's treasure, 
let's see if other people agree. And then we would have uh, a list of, of go-to execs that we knew we could trust with information where we'd be like, we're going to slip this to you. We're not sure. We would be like, we're not sure what you're going to think of this, but we want you to see it first. And if you don't like this script, then we want you to keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody else you read it. Don't tell anybody that you passed on it. And we'll repay you down the road by giving you something first again um, next time we have something. But we need another opinion on this. And what Chris is alluding to is the fact that a lot of times when you had a spec script and you really had something really special, normally what Chris would do with a great script is he'd send it out wide simultaneously to a group of people and so then he could get a bidding war going for the spec script yeah we would have at, at, at the peak we probably could we would get a script out to say 120 people like around town and they would be on a variety of different tracking boards and they would all be communicating with each other what they thought was good, what they thought wasn't. And we could see in real time on the tracking boards, how things were, were looking and then figure out what buyers to allow those different producers go in. But to go back to your question, what, what we would do with a script we weren't sure about is we wouldn't hype, we wouldn't hype the script. For instance, I mean, I know uh, you did a great documentary regarding another Kennedy, but we had a script even rec- more way recently. This is not spec selling time, but we had these writers that adapted the police records of what happened at Chappaquiddick. This was the script that Byron Allen's company he, just bought. Who, and just, who, by the way, you had on the show. He was great, too. And just went out into theaters. Yeah. So we had a script there in Chappaquiddick where little and I and I told I told you know, we, we talked to the, the, the writers, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew and Taylor, who were fantastic. I mean, they, they were so meticulous about how they depicted this character story. It was fantastic. But it was such a difficult concept for people to grasp into making into a movie that we were very open with people. We said, we know you're looking for that big four quadrant, you know, Marvel type movie. This is not it. But I guarantee when you finish this script, you're going to think hard about how you can get this baby made because it's that good and it's that cool. Um, people really like when you when you tee up for them appropriately what you're giving them, because then they go into it with a mindset where what they're reading is playing into the way you you sold it to them and it makes them more geared to say yes than no, I think. And when you overhype something, it's the opposite, right? So with with going back to that client question about a script that you don't want to take out, we would slip it to some people and then we would have them tell us what they thought of the script. And typically it was always like, we don't think the script is ready to go out. Like, I don't know if, if you're thinking of going wide, but be careful with it. And then we would give that feedback to the client and make sure they're aware of it. What was interesting is going back to that that community inside the office, we used to have, we, we would invite our clients to be in the room as we took scripts out to market so they could hear the way we were pitching it, so they could say, hey, I'd rather you pitch it this way. And we would have the debate and we'd be like, well, if we pitch it that way, they're going to be thinking this or whatever. We'd let them hear, you know, be on the phone or, or listen in on, on what people were saying about the script. 
some clients didn't like that and it wouldn't be a part of it, but others loved it. They loved seeing the process and how it worked. So, um, you know, it really, it depended on the client. And you said, well, did that ever bite you in the ass having all those clients in the office? And I would say it never bit us in the ass. The one place where it did bite me in the ass was going into the writer's strike, which is when all this stuff changed, right? And then that's when I really had to change the way I was looking at business and occupy time differently and all that kind of stuff. There were different large management companies that were looking to buy our company and put it into, you know, into their shop. And one of the prerequisites I had, and there was a big company that was willing and, and Walt was moving into this exec VP job at New Line at the time. So it was my company and I was really excited about what we were going to do. And we had a big offer to go to a, a, a large management company, one of the big names. And I said, one of the prerequisites is the clients need to be in the office. We need to have space for them, right? And I was like, I was at your office yesterday. I saw this open space. It seems like we could have that set up with like foosball tables and and collective areas and all that kind of stuff. And and their response was, uh, we don't like having clients in the office. And I said, well, my, our whole thing is that. That's the way we do it. That's how we create new projects. Like we need to have that. And they're like, well, if that's the case, like this isn't going to work. And I said, God, it's a bummer because I know we could make it work. And ultimately that didn't move forward because of that. Well, um, you were the only company I ever knew of that now granted certain management companies, they do have clients hang out sometimes and they do just visit and they come over and you can't stop them. It's like you can't tell a guy, hey, listen, I'd prefer you don't show up here. You had a great thing going and it was unique and it turned out you should probably send that management company a fruit basket. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, it was interesting because as our as business changed and, and then when we were acquired by DMG and we had all this capital, you know, it was a big media and entertainment company that had a long history with and, you know, it had massive inroads to China and, and, and all this ability to sort of create a new business model for us. Um, we went out and bought a lot of IP, like the Brandon Sanderson Library, the Valiant Library, et cetera. And that community aspect of having the management division, which obviously I wasn't as involved with, but still was very tight with a lot of those clients, we were able to create these, you know, rooms of, you know, creatives to go, hey, what do you think of this comic book? And you throw it in the middle of them and somebody's like, wow, that, I, I know what the three-act structure of that would be. Or what do you think of this Brandon Sanderson thousand-page book? Do you think there's a three-act three, three act structure in that? Oh, let us read it and see. You know, like it was amazing because that exchange of information on how to efficiently develop material um, and, and have it coalesce into what a movie structure or a television structure could be was invaluable and it's the kind of thing where studios would pay millions and millions of dollars for it yet we had it right at our fingertips and it could naturally organically build into what could be a movie and then we had the capital to be able to hire whatever client wanted to do the project you know it was an amazing sort of uh, what did process. you do if three clients wanted to do the project and you can only give it to one God, you like you're looking at like the the tough challenges here with some of this stuff. Now, um, I'm no. sorry, but I think this is important for the audience yeah. because it's the conflicts of interest in our business that are the things that are the most difficult to navigate. Because every client, every project 
It doesn't mean it matter if it's a television show, if it's a film, if it's a writer, client, an actor, a comedian. Everyone wants to know that they're the one that you're pushing the most. At best, they want to know that they're all your children and you feel the same about them equally. And if they were all drowning in the ocean, you'd rather drown yourself than have to choose which one right. I'm going to choose. That's at best what they're feeling. Right. At worst, what they're feeling is that motherfucker Fenton. I can't believe he gave that project to him. I'm fucking better for that project than him. How dare him? Well, obviously, I mean, one one aspect of my career took me away from the day to day of 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 clients that were part of the management division because we were doing co-finance deals and distribution deals and all other kinds of things going on M and A activity. So that that was a difficult transition but it was more about hey you the standard business of hollywood the one that we all grew up with because a lot of these clients uh, you know been with me for 15 20 years it's changed and and i'm out there my job is to try to figure out how i can put pieces together to to create new opportunities that that don't exist in the new environment for a lot of people so if you stick with us and you stick with this company and the umbrella of what we're putting together i will find something for you and 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 bring you something that wouldn't exist without us right and that's the key that's what clients clients want to believe that without you in their life they would not have had that opportunity or that opportunity or that opportunity where you get into trouble is when things come at them and you're just saying no or yes to them because they're going, well, wait, I, why am I paying that person that kind of money to do that? Like, that's just screening. I want proactivity. I want outgoing calls made on my behalf. I want opportunities that only this company that I'm a part of can bring to me. That's where the nuance is. And when you can't justify that anymore, that's when a client's going to doubt whether it should be with you or the company or, or, or think about another route. Um, so yes, you do have, sometimes you did have three clients that wanted to do the same project and you would say, look, we're going to this person's most available or this voice is the best or however you figure it out. And then you say, we're going to bring you something, you know, next you're, you're, you're going to get the next piece. And then, then you hope that the relationships are strong enough where they go, well, wait, no other company's doing this kind of thing for their clients. I get it. Somebody's going to have to get the job and I'm going to get the second job or whatever it is. So I'm betting that I'm on the, you know, I'm on the right horse and I'm going to get to the finish line and, you know, Chris is going to keep his promise or whatever that is. I just want to take a minute to share another groundbreaking environmentally sound product with you. It's an unbelievable revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates and it will make your life so much better. It's like no other product you'll ever find in the world. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. As you know, air inside our homes can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. And until now, the only thing that could get rid of all these things in your house that were damaging to you and your family were systems that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. 
That's why I wanted to talk to you about the Air Doctor and share it with you. It removes everything, dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate through your home that cover your walls, floors, and furniture. You can get the Air Doctor right now. It's normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300 off the Amazon price. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry. I have one of these. I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. It's truly incredible. It works for me and it'll work for you. You mentioned Chappaquiddick. When Byron reached out to me saying that he was buying Chappaquiddick, it stunned me. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking from the outside, looking in, you're doing a project that's a great script. Anybody reads the script, it's a great script. But it's not necessarily, I would consider, his lane. We're talking about subject matter that's 50 years ago. It just didn't make sense to me that he rallied behind it, but he did, and he got it for a reasonable price. But it still costs 15 to $25 million to promote a movie in this landscape. So even if you bought the movie for $5 million or $10 million or whatever, you still got that. And so when you're rallying behind things, because you've been involved with everything from Iron Man 3 to independent movies, you have a finite amount of time that you're working on. You're very valuable with what you do. You know there are certain movies that are never going to even make a fraction of the money of Iron Man 3. You know when you're going into Chappaquiddick that even if it does well, really well, it's not the kind of movie that's going to go like Iron Man 3. You're putting together everything. Do you wonder sometimes when you're putting your effort towards, let's say, Chappaquiddick, and you have a finite amount of hours in the day, well, I can do Chappaquiddick, or I could work on Iron Man 3, or 4, or 5, or 6. Why do you spend so much time on movies that you know will never make your company and your investors the kind of money that the other movies will make? Why do you do that then? You know, we talk about relationships and the importance of building those up over time. You you look at writers like Andrew Logan and Taylor Allen who wrote that script and you, you go, this is a, was a fascinating, I mean, it was one of the top blacklist scripts. It was extremely well received by everybody, even the people scared to death to make the movie. Um, and it had lots of crazy actors and filmmakers who loved the script, but were also scared to do the movie. Um, and you're going, wow, I, I want to be a part of helping get their first movie made because they're going to be massive artists over their career. And I want to be able to, no matter where I am, if I'm running a studio or if I'm 
you know, part of a company that's managing them or if I'm a producer or whatever, I want to be able to have them on my Rolodex and know I can get them on the phone and pitch something to them because they're going to get me, you know, in, in contention of, of seeing them win an Oscar and maybe even me or my studio or whatever winning an Oscar. So I think that's why you want to to go to bat for something that you believe in. And then on top of it, we are, we're storytellers, right? I mean, we're, we should be platform agnostic in today's age, you know, forget about only sticking to movies or only sticking to TV series or only sticking to digital shorts or whatever you are. I mean, we're storytellers. Some of those stories are going to be great over two minutes. Some are going to be great over 22 minutes or 48 minutes or in an hour or 90 minutes or whatever you have to look for great stories. And I think you're keeping your mind and your branding and your, your respectability in, in, in the town and, and the, the way people look at you in a really smart positioned way. If you're thinking out of the box and going, you know what? Yeah, we can make 10 pole movies, but we also can make great stories that could garner awards too. So I think that's sort of, you know, part of it. Now, obviously branding is so important. So, you know, that does take us out of, I mean, at the time, yes, we were doing much larger movies. So that takes you out of your brand and it took Byron Allen out of his brand. But at the same time, no one's going to fault you for making that movie, right? That, that movie is, I mean, other than maybe Kennedy supporters who feel like it was too much of a slam on what happened then, but we didn't even get that. I thought it was a very sensitive way of telling what what transpired over that night and that weekend, right? And people respected the fact that we got that movie made and, and that it did well, and hopefully people remember it come awards time next year. Okay, before we wrap up, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Boku Superfoods, the highest quality, healthiest superfood formulations on the planet, filled with the most nutritious parts of plants, vegetables, roots, and fruits, certified organic, kosher, and vegan. Make your own juice or smoothie in a few minutes. Just add liquid, shake it, and take it. Go to bokusuperfoods.com and type in the promo code Barry, and you'll get 20% off everything. Boku Superfoods, feel better inside and look better outside. And Aqua True, the groundbreaking small countertop water purifier. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry. Get $100 off and get the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. And the groundbreaking documentary, I Killed JFK, and the additional interviews of five of the last remaining JFK assassination experts. It features the only living person in history to admit to killing President Kennedy. You can purchase these exclusively at IKilledJFK.com. When Trump says he wants to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? Trust me, I guarantee it will change the way you look at the world. And the incredible air purifier, the air doctor, that removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and everything bad in your house. You can save $300 right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and entering the promo code Barry and finally start breathing in clean and healthy air in your home starting today. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my partners at Wondery. 
They are truly amazing. Recently, they asked me to request if you would just take a few minutes of your time to complete a short survey. Just go to wondery.com survey, and you can do it straight from your smartphone. It would really help us out here at the show and at Wondery. That's wondery.com survey. I really appreciate it. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. Oh, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drive that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going for. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes, which will be available for download every Monday, or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.